Griffiths again. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pure Football Podcast. This is Rhys and today I spoke with Greg and Danny about the recent and very successful international break for Scotland. I would also like to apologise for my voice throughout this podcast as I have been struggling with a cold over the weekend and my voice may sound a little bit monotonous at times but I have tried my best. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So we're recording the morning after Scotland's 0-0 draw away in Krakow with Ukraine, which has secured as a promotion to UEFA Nations League A and a pot to a spot for the Euro 2024 Germany qualification campaign. How do you feel about that, Danny? I think we're all a bit buzzing. You sound a bit worse for work because I think you were at the pub last night. So, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And obviously there's a lot of implications further down the road for, for Scotland for this, get a better qualifying group for Euro 2024. Um, you obviously get to go into the playoffs um, for qualification as as like a, a minimum. So, yeah, it just shows how far we've come and we're now the only British team in League A of the Nations League. So does that make us the best team on the island? Absolutely. No doubt about that. I don't even think there's any debate. Now, we thought we'd take it back to the start of the international break because it might be a bit of an odd order if we, we, we go in reverse. So we're going to cast our minds back to the 3-0 win at Hamden last week um, against Ukraine. And how did we feel about the team selection going into that one? I was surprised, I think, um, with the back four. We kind of played the the four two three one system, um, almost like a four four two 2 with, with John McGinn kind of really high up supporting Shea Adams but yeah I was I was kind of surprised to, to see the four at the back um, we've not seen that for a while from Scotland but I think I had mentioned it to, to yourselves before is that if there was a time to try the four at the back again it was now while Andy Robertson is injured there's no dilemma between Tierney or Robertson can you get them both in the same team if you play four at the back so I think it was wise from Steve Clark. I think we had the personnel to play it well um, with Patterson and Tierney both in the team at fullback. You still had that attacking threat from the fullback positions, even if you weren't playing them as wingbacks. The one thing I would say is McTominay coming into midfield is not something that I've been too much of a fan of in a Scotland jersey. Um, obviously, we see him play there for Man United and yeah, okay, people criticise him quite a lot, but you know he's playing at high level in midfield, so he's clearly got some attributes that that do suit him in that role, but I'd much preferred him on the right of the back three for Scotland. But he came into the middle with Callum McGregor, and I thought they both complemented each other really well. You know, I was a bit bit worried that uh, Billy Gilmore, yeah, he's not played hardly at all um, since last season at Norwich, and, you know, he'd been very, very good for Scotland alongside McGregor, so I was a bit worried that maybe we'd lose something with, with Gilmore not being in there, but no, we certainly... Um, we certainly saw the, the, the benefits of having McTominay in there. Um, Good higher up, I think. Uh, as I mentioned, John McGinn was very close to Shea Adams, almost in that second striker role, which actually suited McGinn really well, using his 
you know, his backside, as we all like to say, and holding that ball in. Him and Adams played close to each other. Lots of giving goes, one-twos with Armstrong and Christie, who playing wide but are not natural wingers. Everyone felt close to each other. There was never any um, of our attackers being isolated, and we just constantly um, kept Ukraine in there, um, especially with the, the ability of that front four to go and press, which we, we saw throughout the whole game. So, yeah, no, I think Clark got it absolutely spot on. And obviously that's easy to say after you've won 3-0, but even if it had finished 0-0 and we did had a performance like that, there was going to be absolutely no criticism for the team selection at all. Yeah, you covered a few points there, Greg, and I think I, I mostly agree with you. Um, I was I was impressed with McTominay as well. Um, I was, obviously I said in the last podcast that I don't want to see him playing in midfield, but I think that in this game, he showed his qualities, but he also did show some of his deficiencies too. But I think that he his qualities like kind of like outshone those. So out out of possession, I think he was an absolute monster. His pressing was just unbelievable. Like he was getting on top of the Ukraine midfielders and and uh, winning the ball back, turning it over for us um, constantly. And he's just a real threat. And um, he makes those powerful runs, uh, kind of forward runs as well, which I think are an undervalued part of his game. So yeah, I was quite. I was pretty impressed with him. He still left McGregor with a lot to do in build up, but I mean we just know that at this point, so I guess that it's not it's not really a surprise. And what else he did, um, I feel I was pretty impressed by. So on McTominay, um, yeah, I think he, he did well. Um in the back four, I said in the last pod that I wanted us to stick with the, the back three, but I think I've been proven wrong and I'm happy to be um I do still think there's value in the back three for us going forward though in certain in certain games, especially we might see in Ligue if we're coming up against some top opponents then it might actually suit us a bit better to slip back into that. But that's it, Clark's discretion going forward. And um I think it's good to have two options now when we when we have both our kind of both our left backs fit when maybe maybe he feels against a top top opponent that it would be it'd be a good setup for us to go into the back five. But yeah, very happy with how it's panned out with the back four. I think you're being optimistic there with we're not going to get Israel in a, in a League A group in the National League considering we get them every time. Yeah, I think me and you are both pretty firm that we want to see a back three, but I'll give props to Greg because I think as soon as Andy Robertson got injured, which was while club football was still going on, he was already in the chat being like back four time. And it, it worked so well. I don't think we really expected it. I think if you listen to the pod back last week, I think we both were pretty certain it was still going to be a back three. But the full backs worked really well and it was nice to see that even with Patterson going off injured, and luckily that's not a serious injury, Hickey came in and it was just a seamless transition. I actually think I kind of prefer Hickey there. Um because he just offers you a lot more angles and things with how two footed he is. And I know that we've been quite vocal against having him on the right uh, for a long time, but he does work there and he's n- not really going to look in at the left when there's so many options there in Robertson and, and Tierney for now. And you've got Greg Taylor playing really well. So, yeah, I think the team re- worked really well. And, and I do want to shout out Callum McGregor again because the work he gets through in that midfield, he's basically Scot- Scotland's metronome. He keeps the tempo. He does all the dirty work and allows the other midfielder to sort of press like you said like McTominay did really well so yeah I think the team was team selection was spot on from Clark Yeah I think you've covered a great point there talking about Callum McGregor and using the word metronome that's exactly what, what he is for us we saw with him and Gilmore in the team previously that they were both looking to get on the ball maybe Gilmore slightly more so um, 
playing in the build-up, but I think Cal McGregor, he was really the, the main outlet and he, he has been for, for the last three games um, to play through into midfield. So I think if we didn't have McGregor available, I really think we would have struggled. We would have been a completely different team and he does allow us to, to play through um, and not just just go direct and play off second balls, which I think is just such a, a huge factor for us and it's, it's how we now base our, our whole style upon. I think there's another point there that uh, one of you touched on about Hickey being uh, coming in on the right, um, and we'd spoken about it about before. I'd even spoken about maybe the possibility of him being in the back three, um, but I think that yeah, what he offers with his two footedness is so valuable. Like the way that he can, he can like uh, when you're when you're up against him, you don't know which way he's going to go because he can step inside and play a good pass in, inside to the midfield, or he can play up the line, and it's he's just as good going either way. So it's it's so unpredictable. And it actually made me um, go and check his FBRF profile or um, the other day for the stats bomb data. And one of the things that they count is basically the footedness of a player, and it based on the amount of actions um, that they use on each foot. So it doesn't count the quality of it, but it basically says it's like a ratio of how much they use their, their left to their right. And Hickey is uh, at fifty eight percent left footed, and that is like one of the lowest uh, ratios like in the whole of like the top five leagues. So it just shows how strongly two footed he is. There are very few players in that ca- in that kind of bracket, and some of them some of the names are like Usman Dembele, and then I think Ryan Cherky as well was was one of them. Um, so I mean, like, there's basically the the most two footed players going, and he's he's one of them. So I think it really does show the value he's offering is there. I think we saw a big improvement in terms of the two footedness, if you like, well, maybe not the two footedness ability, but certainly the willingness to to go down the right-hand side from Hickey because in that first game that he came in to the, to the starting eleven against Ukraine in the playoff, I just thought he didn't look too comfortable. I always thought he looked to be getting forward but then trying to cut back on his left to get a ball in and it was just kind of slowing things down. Um, I thought he was quite easily pressed in that game and you know didn't really have a great game at all. Um, but this time you wouldn't have been able to tell that you know, he is predominantly left-footed. I mean, obviously, as you're saying, Reese, he's not actually predominantly left-footed, but, you know, that is where he's played for most of his time. Um, but I think you can see that it's so comfortable to have. Uh, he's, sorry, he's so comfortable to on either side. And we've now got four, five left-backs who you'd be absolutely happy with. But also Patterson and Hickey at right-back are both really great options, both slightly different in, in their, their style and maybe their strengths, but still... I think that right back position now is definitely stronger than it than it has been for the last five, ten years probably. Yeah, I think that's a good point on the depth in those positions. I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to it, but Tierney gets injured and Robertson's already injured, and then you've got Greg Taylor who's playing the football of his life for Celtic to come in and he looks excellent too. So there's so much depth there, and then you've obviously got Josh Doig is playing in, in Serie A. He came in from the under-21s but didn't see game time. And then even through the youth academy, you've got players like uh, Calvin Ramsey coming through. So in terms of fullback, it's just it keeps getting deeper for Scotland. I don't know how we're producing so many, but it's a good position to be in. Just the general depth of the team is so much better as well. I mean, if you look at the subs in this game, Ryan Fraser comes on for Armstrong. Ryan Fraser obviously was out. For a while with Scotland, they had a wee bit of a dispute, but he's a Premier League level player. He's he's very good and he offers Scotland width up top that they don't really have in anyone else. You've then got Dykes who came on and is such a huge threat from set pieces and scores twice. You've got McLean who 
who is a decent player, and then obviously Taylor came on for Tierney. So just the depth of this Scotland squad is so much more than it's ever been before. Like, obviously we'll get onto it, but the last game we're depleted a bit, and and we're still playing players that are really high quality and offer so much. So it's it's just so refreshing to see how deep this Scotland squad can go. Yeah, I'll try and I'll steer us back onto course a little bit more because we're kind of we're talking quite broadly about about the kind of the state of the squad and stuff, which is all great. But just coming bring it back to that performance against Ukraine last week, I think it's some important things to point out where like the sheer dominance of it. Um we put up two point nine three XG to zero point zero eight XG, which I mean that's just like they, they didn't have a staff. Um, and then when you look at the passes, um, they actually played more passes than us, which might surprise you. But then if you break it down into the halves that the passes were played in, um, we played 225 of our passes in the opposition half, and they only played 135 of theirs in the opposition half. So it really shows the kind of territorial dominance, the kind of uh, the sort of field tilt, as you might have seen on Twitter quite a lot recently. Um, we were, yeah, we were we were really on top of them, and it was just a like such a suffocating performance from Scotland. I think another little stat that kind of points out just how effective we were pressing and stopping Ukraine playing out um, is our, our high recovery. So we won the ball back high 25 times against Ukraine. And in the last uh, calendar year, Scotland haven't come close to that apart from against Armenia, which you would obviously kind of expect us to be able to, to um, sorry, Armenia at home as well, so which you, you would expect us to go and, go and dominate that kind of game. But um, for instance, against Ukraine, uh, last night we only won the ball back thirteen times high up, so it just showed you how effective that press was. And as you say, Reese, with the the Ukraine relentlessly did try to play out from the back. They didn't try and change their game plan despite us pressing, and I think that just played into our advantage as well. They were playing passes around the back, could not progress the ball, and we pounced on any mistakes that they made. So no, it was was really really. Um, really impressed with that. I think it's probably the best I've seen us off the ball as well as on the ball. I think the word you used, Reese, was perfect. It was the most suffocating Scotland performance I can remember. There were times when Tierney was popping up on the right wing, winning the ball back, and then and then we would have an overload on, on the other side with, with Adams. So it was just incredible. I mean, Ukraine had literally zero XG in the second half. They didn't take a shot which shows you how dominant it was. There was a stretch just before we scored the first goal where Adams hit the bar and had another header saved where it just felt like the goal was coming. Like Scotland were just dominating and dominating and, and there was little doubt in, in my mind anyway that, that we would break through and, and that kind of shows you how dominant the performance was. Yeah, for sure. And um, another thing to, to point out, and Greg, that I see you've included in the in the notes on this is the set pieces, and the, this is something that Austin McPhee's been working on as a set piece coach. And yeah, I think it's just it's so clear how important that is to us now, and it's such a valuable part of the game. I think we've I've seen it at, at Spurs this season with um, the appointment of Gianni Vio, who's a specialist set piece coach, um, who was who worked with Conte in the Italian national team, and the improvement in set piece like XG and set piece goals has just been huge and it's won numerous games for Spurs this season. So I think it's just such an, an easy opportunity to improve your team um, and Scotland are making full use of that at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right to point out it is such a huge part. And yeah, although we did create lots from open play as well, you know, if it wasn't for those set pieces that we'd clearly been worked on, we've brought in a coach, maybe not specifically for that. I think Austin McPhee has 
you know other responsibilities with, with Scotland, but he is a set piece specialist with Aston Villa, and you know his value has clearly been shown. If you want to have a, a closer look at, at how the, the two corners that the Dyke scored um, were planned and thought through, then have a wee look at, at Chris McLaughlin on on Twitter. He's at Coach Chris MCL. He did, did a lovely wee thread just outlining exactly how the how the corners were broken down with um, you know creating space at the back post taking the man off the line so that, that the headers weren't blocked on the line. So, no, brilliant to see. And it is part of the game, um, especially when you do have a lot of your bigger players on the pitch. You know, you need to kind of make use of that uh, really well. So, yeah, no, really happy with that. And I think that's something that I'd kind of like to see us still be creative with and, and forward thinking with. I couldn't finish stop talking about this game without mentioning John McGinn's behind again because it came into play and got that first goal. I mean, that looks like... An easy finish when it goes in, but it's incredibly hard. He turns the Ukraine defender with his famous his famous ass and and then just finds that bottom corner so well. Like That was an incredibly difficult finish and it, and it really set the stadium alight. So again, it comes into play, as has been mentioned so many times before. Yeah, it's, it's seriously such an asset to the team. Like It's, it's just... So effective the way that he can he can spin people and just and shield the ball. Um, it really it really does work wonders for us. But yeah, I think we've uh, we've covered the the first Ukraine game in quite a lot of detail. So we should move on to the second game at Hampton, which was against the Republic of Ireland. So we obviously we won we won two one there, but um, we fell behind to a set piece goal um, from John Egan in the eighteenth minute before uh, Jack Henry scored, and then we got that late penalty from Christie to make it two one. So what what do we think about the team selection for this one then? Um, I would say you know we we kept it the same to be honest, apart from London Dykes up top and obviously Hickey started, but that was kind of a, a forced change. So going into it, I didn't have too many complaints apart from Dykes coming in. You know, despite he had scored two goals against Ukraine the the game before, I still thought Adams just gives us more overall. He's he's better at holding it in. Um, despite Adam didn't get himself on the score sheet, I thought he linked really well with, with McGinn and Armstrong and Christie in the previous game. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised to see Dykes come in. I think that was maybe due to the way Ireland set up. So Ireland played that back five with the narrow midfield three and they did look like they were happy to concede crosses into the box. And maybe that's something Steve Clark and, and his backroom staff had identified and thought, well, look, we are going to naturally have lots of opportunities to cross the ball in. Why don't we get London Dykes in the team? Because he's going to be probably more effective at attacking balls into the box. So I guess there was method behind it. I think by and large, defensively, we were still fine. Obviously, we conceded from the set piece, which I wouldn't say was too much of our, our fault. I think it was a, you know, a slightly lucky and a great finish from, from John Egan. But no, going into the game, I think Clark set up kind of how you would have expected them to, maybe minus Dykes. Yeah, I'd sort of echo that Dykes. I was kind of shocked that he started. It's nothing against him. He is a useful option. It's just that Che Adams feels like such a vital part of this Scotland team. I mean, Che Adams is about four different kind of attackers in one player at times. Like he has that hold up ability. He he can run behind the lines and and get in the channels. He's he's really creative. Whereas Dykes is a bit more one dimensional, and he seems like more of a useful kind of tool off the bench or alongside a partner like Adams. So for him to lead the line, I was a bit surprised. Um, but no, I think it was to be expected in, in terms of team selection to keep it much the same. 
it was a it was a good performance overall. I don't think even when we went to go behind, I don't think we deserved to go into half time losing. And obviously the spirit and the team and and the ability of the players to to come back from behind in one half is 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 really good. So yeah, I was I was shocked to see Dykes, but overall I was I was happy with the team. Yeah, so I mean I feel really bad for Dykes because in in one way like you come on and score two goals, what more can you do? But I was also really disappointed to see Adams not starting. But in hindsight, across the break, I think it's clear to see that Clark is trying to manage fitness. The only player that played across all three games was uh, Jack Hendry. Or sorry, played the full the full 90 minutes across all three games was Jack Hendry. So um, I think, yeah, he's definitely managing fitness. Um, but he said after it that the only person that had uh, played played through the whole three games was uh, Hendry. But yeah, so I think he is trying to manage the fitness and he must just be thinking what game is it best to, to drop Adams for and give him a rest. And he, he probably concluded that on paper, Ireland should Ireland at home should be the easier of the three, and that's no disrespect to Ireland. It's just that the two top teams in the group, um, we had we had the second team in the group, sorry, twice in that break. So so it's just uh, how it kind of fell. But Dykes did well, but I do think you miss you do miss a lot of the the kind of quality of the link up play that you get with Adams. It's just that kind of that level above. I mean, they do play they do play in different leagues in England. Like Adams is a, an established Premier League player, and Dykes is kind of. Uh, is kind of playing in the championship and he's he's, do, he's doing okay for Queen's, uh, Queen's Park Rangers but I think it's obvious the, the kind of drop-off you get as much as uh, Dykes does do does do his absolute best for us. Yeah, so just before we, we kind of move on from London Dykes, I think he has his, a specific role in the team and I think a lot of that depends on who he's playing with in the more advanced areas. So for me, when you've got John McGinn playing high up next to your striker. For me, you want a Shea Adams who is going to hold the ball in, lay it off to McGinn, or McGinn can do the same. You know, he, he's going to play in the central areas and also McGinn's got a good strike on him. You know, it might be a layoff and a, a shot from the edge of the box, etc. But for me, if you're playing Lyndon Dykes, you want someone running in behind because we see a lot of times Dykes wins great flick-ons and I know we don't want to go long all the time and just rely on flicking the ball on. But Dykes does give you that option. And for me, that, you know, is better playing with someone like a, a Ryan Fraser closer to Dykes. Whereas when Dykes tries to bring the ball in and set it back, I think sometimes he's quite untidy. So, yeah, I think that's just another little thing that maybe Dykes needs a certain type of player around him um, to really get the full effect of him. Yeah, not to talk too much about Dykes, but I think while it probably was the best game to give Adams a rest and obviously with the illness he got after it, that was in hindsight good and the win. But also we dominated the ball against Ireland. I think it was about 60% possession and I don't feel like that's the environment that Dykes is really going to thrive in. That's somewhere where Che Adams is going to thrive in possession. So it was a bit interesting that, that Dykes was the option because I think we were always going to dominate the ball against against Ireland but um, I guess if he wanted to rest Adams there wasn't really another option in the squad unless you wanted to shoehorn a midfielder into there so yeah Yeah I think that's something that maybe gets overlooked is, is the foresight of, of a, a man, that a manager needs in these international breaks when you've got three games in quick succession maybe he thinks you know what we'll get the job done with, with Dykes up front and I really want Shea Adams to to you know, be available for the Ukraine away leg because he is going to hold it in more. He's going to get us up the pitch where we might be a bit, bit more under the cosh. So I think it's something that we've we've not really seen is deliberate rotation too much from Steve Clark before. Um, I think counting through this morning, I think we used twenty players 
and over the course of the three games, now obviously a lot of that was forced due to injury, and I'm sure we wouldn't have seen, you know, Tierney being dropped, etc. If if they hadn't been injured, but you know, it does show that Clark is planning ahead. He has the squad depth now to be able to rotate and not lose too much in the squad as well. Yeah, these are all good points. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit about the performance specifically. So I think we'll start by. I want to give Ireland a little bit of credit because I thought that especially in the first half they were they they really put in a good shift. They were so they were so full of energy and they were yeah you know like out of possession they were pressing us really well and stuff like that. Even maybe not necessarily super high, but they they did well. That could possibly be put down to the fact that they had a whole week's preparation for this game as well, where we had another game um, a few days before it. But I do think we need to give them credit. Um, they had they put in a really intense shift. Yeah. I, I... We shout out Ireland as well. I think they were really effective in the first half of of finding space in between the lines between Scotland's defensive midfield. Like they obviously didn't have much of the ball, but when they did, they they were effective with it, and they did look a lot fresher than Scotland did for sort of the first forty forty five minutes. So yeah, I, I would echo what what you said about Ireland. They were they did surprise me because you look at their squad, and we mentioned this last week at Scotland's team is, is should be much better on paper but for that first 45 minutes they did go toe-to-toe with Scotland and, and they did really cause us some problems. Yeah I want to give a shout out um, to Jack Hendry as well because uh, for the equaliser that run forward um, yeah when he charged forward and then he found himself in the box unmarked and then he, and then you know then he got on the end of the cross from from Ryan Christie that was just that was just excellent and I think that he has really shone through this break and I honestly think he's got to be our like he's got to be our kind of starting centre back now. Like I mean, it's him and someone else at the moment. Like, I just think that he's shown so many qualities that I didn't even appreciate maybe appreciate as much as I, I maybe should have. Like his athleticism has been it's been absolutely phenomenal. Like there was a moment, and I can't remember what game it was. I think it was in the the three 0 Ukraine game where it was actually an offside call eventually. But you know the the way the rules are now, they can't call it until they've prop fully influenced play. So the the Ukraine forward was running through and Hendry absolutely bursts a gut to get back and he plays an, and he makes an amazing challenge um, and then it flags for offside. But I just think that there was so many occasions in this break where he just really impressed me. Um, off, off the ball with a tackle like that and the, the, the kind of chasing back and then charging forward like that and getting on the end of a cross. Like he's just, he's just been absolutely brilliant and I think he's probably been my player of the break. Yeah, I mean, Jack, that goal was was fantastic i mean most most center backs in that situation will will make the run play the pass and then drop back they won't follow their run into the box into acres of space unmarked and, and head it into the goal so that was that was really refreshing to see he was also he also had 100 percent passing accuracy in that game like 60 out of 60 passes he's just really effective in possession and out of possession and i would definitely say that he is like the number one natural centre-back pick in that back line. Um, hopefully he can get more game time. He's not had any by like eight minutes since Serie A as he moved. So he needs to kick on club football-wise. But for Scotland, this break, I would agree he, he'd be my player of the of the international break. I think a, another thing to mention with Hendry and with McKenna and with Portis as well, to be fair, uh, last night, is that our centre-back pairing have always been brave. They've clearly been told to play that high line. And to be honest with you, if you told me that Scott McKenna is going to be playing in a high line against a pacey striker 
in a back two, I would think, oh, I'm not too sure about that. But I think McKenna and Hendry both showed that they have a great turn of pace, um, especially with Hendry, sorry, when, when he's kind of stepping up and can still get back. I think it's it's great to see. And yeah, it was just very brave. We, if we were going to go and press like we, we now seem to be doing, um, we need our our defence to also be high or else, you know, the gaps are going to appear. And we certainly did that. And I think, you know, it kind of did start from the back. The defence being high allowed us to go and play the way we wanted to off the ball. You know, just thinking about that, there's something about about this setup with the back four that I've noticed is that compared to the back three, you're you're maybe asking less of the, the two centre-backs on the ball. Um, they will, you're asking them to do less on the ball. And they're, they're charged with less responsibility in terms of progression and things like that. And I think that suits the likes of McKenna and Porteous especially, it lets them do what they're good at. And that is the show the athletic side of the game, be aggressive defenders, things like that. And they, they've kind of got a more simple task. Um, Hendry's done well on the ball. And as we said about him kind of charging forward with it there, um, he, he's done a good job of that. But I think we're we're getting we're getting the, the best out of them in this in this too. Whereas maybe when you're playing them as wide centre-backs or in the back three, the, the centre-backs have a, a lot more responsibility to actually get the ball up the pitch because um, you have one less midfielder or forward on the pitch. So um, with the back four and you have guys like Hickey and Tierney or Taylor um, right to, to the left and right in uh, the fullback positions who are very comfortable on the ball, very good passers of the ball. And then you have someone like McGregor uh, right right in front of them. Um, it's kind of it's kind of protecting them in that side of the game where they maybe don't excel so much. So I think yeah, that, that's probably another thing that's been quite tactically astute from Steve Clark. Yeah, one thing I did notice about this game is even at 1-1, where Scotland, you could say, didn't need to win, like it wasn't a necessity that, that we did get the win. We were really attacking to the point where, I mean, there was one corner for Scotland that Ireland broke, and I think it was Parrott should have scored. Like he was clean through on goal. It was it was two against one. And Christie tried to chop down one of the Ireland players. So it kind of shows a switching mentality from Scotland that they think, okay, we're going to go out and win this game rather than sell for a point. I think for a long time, that's sort of been what we've expected from a Scotland team. But Clark's changed the whole mentality of, of the, the squad and the nation. Like we, we went all out attack to win that game and make it so much easier for ourselves to win the group. I think touching on that again is that I know a lot of people have put this behind a long time ago but I still see some people with a narrative that Steve Clark is a defensive manager that is not the case at all when it is on to go and be on the front foot to go and press to go and play forward quickly and get your better players in, in advanced positions I think he's exactly the type of manager who, who wants to do that at every opportunity I think we saw last night against Ukraine okay you know our squad was much depleted We'd had the virus going around the the camp. A lot of players maybe weren't full fitness. They just played one hundred and twenty minutes. Sorry, one hundred and eighty minutes before. So I think there's a time and a place that Clark still has that ability to you know give you a defensively solid performance without being too risky. But the narrative that he's a defensive coach has to be gone now. Surely, I think my take on that would be that I think it's fair to call him a pragmatist, but I wouldn't call him like an idealist. Like he's not the kind of coach that's going to attack a situation where. It is not the it's not the most likely you know like it's not the solution that is most likely to get your result. So, but he's not a defensive coach to the point that 
it's it's harming the team. Like when we when we are the when we are the kind of better side, or it, it suits us to go and press high and attack, he will do that. Um, but even as last night, as we saw when we were kind of we we didn't take as many risks last night, and it wasn't the best to watch. I mean, we're we're kind of getting on to the next game here, but I guess that's okay. We yeah we we didn't take so many risks, and we were a bit it was a bit turgid at times, but we we got the job done, and I think. That that's how I would kind of classify Clark. He he knows he knows when it's sensible to to kind of commit bodies, take risks. But he also he, he isn't just defensive to the point that um yeah that you know it may, it, it harms us. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's someone that knows how to deal with a cert, certain situation, so he can change his approach. I mean, we could quite easily last night sit in, or we could go and dominate a game. I mean, this is a guy that's worked like under Prime Mourinho at Chelsea. He's been at Liverpool. He's He's been at big clubs who you expect attacking football from. And then he's also been at places like Kilmarnock who will need to shop shop against, obviously, the bigger teams in, in the SPFL. I mean, he's not a defensive coach. He's just someone that knows how to deal with different situations. I mean, Scotland could quite easily go away to Wembley, shop shop, get a nil-nil, and then they can go and dominate a game against someone there that they expect to. So... I think the defensive tag is completely wrong. He's just someone that's pragmatic, like you said, Reese. He knows how to deal with different situations and get the best out of his squad. I think touching on his time there at Kilmarnock as well, that is now translating to his times with Scotland. So, as you mentioned, Danny, he would maybe not quite shut up shot, but certainly take a much more pragmatic approach against the old firm and regularly take points off both sides of the old firm. But then they've comfortably finished third under him, dominating teams below them in the league. So he would go and play it, you know, the same system, but a completely altered approach to the game. And I think that's right. He's perfectly, his situational approach is just exactly what is needed in international management, where the standard of the teams you're playing can be so different one week to the next. I think what you just said at the end there was, was exactly what my point was going to be, Greg, is that I think that. He genuinely suits international management perfectly because he has this flexibility. I think he also probably suits management at a club at a kind of middling club level where you're not expected to go out and dominate. Like I don't think we're going to see Steve Clark leaving Scotland for Rangers or Celtic. One because I know he's got personal grievances with them that he that he, he wouldn't take the job that he's kind of aired before. But I think that it just also doesn't suit him. He's not gonna he's not the kind of manager like Andrew's got a philosophy that that like transcends everything else and is kind of like you that they're gonna have the have a belief in selling the players in a certain way of playing football and certain kind of positional ideas it's not like that but that's fine and that doesn't really work at international level or you don't see it at international level because you just don't have the time in the training pitch so I think he is really really good at at kind of that like mix of like limited time getting the best out of the players you've got and um, you know, yeah, being being pragmatic, but that's not a negative thing at all. When I say pragmatic, that doesn't mean uh, negative or defensive or anything like that. So I think we've touched on it. So we should move on to the talk about the game last night, which I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a one to really remember for the performance, but um, the results and the outcomes of it um are are so valuable to Scotland going forward. So the the lineup was a little bit surprising. Um, I think it's fair to say. We we saw some debate about whether it would be a, a four at the back setup or a, a five at the back or a three at the back setup. So there was um the team sheets on the on the Premier Sports beforehand had Hickey as a left centre back, but when we played actually it was pretty clear that it was Hickey at right back, Taylor left back with a a back uh, 
back two of Hendry and Porteous, and that was a debut for Porteous, which I'm sure we'll be able to talk about plenty. And then, um, yeah, then we had a kind of a midfield, a midfield pivot of Jack and McGregor, and then McLean, McGinn, and Fraser behind Adams. So, where do we want to start with this one, guys? Um, I would say I was still not quite hundred percent sure what his approach would be in terms of a back four or back five, just because we'd lost Kieran Tierney. We'd obviously had McKenna leave, um, dropping out of the squad as well. I thought that bringing in Stephen Kingsley and Declan Gallagher maybe suggested that we would go to a back five, just because for Scotland previously we've seen Declan Gallagher in a game that we might not have much of the ball playing in that um, central centre-back role with Hendry on the right-hand side and then Stephen Kingsley, who's very comfortable playing in the kind of left of the back three for Hearts. So I wasn't sure how we would approach the game. I do think he, he got it right again, though. I think that bringing Ryan Fraser in kind of gave us the possibility to go and attack on the counter, but also covering the wide area. He is a natural winger. He usually plays on the right-hand side, so he was happy to come and defend the wide areas. Um, Kenny McLean is not someone that I would have brought in ahead of Billy Gilmore myself, but I guess it's hard to, to kind of comment on that considering the, the lack of football that Gilmore has played and having McLean kind of on the left-hand side did give you some, you know, some natural uh, passes with that left foot inside to progress the ball. Um, I think Cal McGregor again showed that if it wasn't for him in that midfield, I think we would have really struggled. I think Jack and McLean both... You know, coming into the to the game uh, and into the team for the first time in, in the international break, I don't think they were unbelievable. I think they, they did what was asked of them, um, and we kind of we got away with it slightly. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but um, no, I think the approach was was good. However, if we had have gone and conceded in the first half, I don't know where we would have gone from there with the setup we had. I don't think it was a team that was going to ever look to impose themselves on the game. So yeah, I think it, it has worked well. I think it could have gone wrong though, in my opinion. Yeah, I think even when the team was announced, there was still some confusion as to whether it would be a back four or a back five. I mean, I think Grant tweeted it would be a back four and then other big Scotland accounts had it as a back five. So there was some confusion whether Hickey would sort of come in like Reese wanted last week and to be a, a centre-back and Fraser would be a wing-back. But yeah, he obviously went with with McLean in that sort of left hand sided role. I'm surprised he lasted as long there as he did on the pitch because it didn't work. He wasn't really effective in possession and he kept getting caught out of it. And I think there was an element of luck last night, but I also think that the goalkeeper and the two centre backs and the full backs, to be fair, played out of their skin. Um, I think obviously we'll get onto it, but a massive shout out to Ryan Porteous, who got a lot of hate when he was announced in the team, um, but was incredible. And one thing that surprised me was because I haven't really watched much of him is how good at passing he can be. And and there was one situation late on in the game last night where he, instead of just hoofing the ball clear, decided to go on a progressive run. Or the the pass didn't come off, but he. The territory he gained, he went from deep inside his own half to inside the Ukraine half, and and he was just excellent the whole game. Yeah, I think we should we should talk about Porteous for a bit here because, like, I was sitting in the pub with my pals, and there are some agendas going around Scottish football about Ryan Porteous, depending on what club you support. And 
a lot of people don't like him. And I honestly, I tweeted before it that I don't have a very strong opinion and I didn't want to get caught up in the negativity around it because this is a guy coming in for his international debut. Clark obviously sees something in him. He has shown strong performances and a lot of Hibs fans have maybe said that this hasn't been his best season. But I think we've just got to say that he was absolutely outstanding. From a defensive point of view, I was really impressed by his anticipation. There was quite a lot of times where he would step out and he would nick in front of the attacker and just and win the ball. And it was really, really good front foot defending, um, something that we maybe don't even don't get so much from our other centre-backs. So that was really good. And I'd also like to echo what you were saying about him on the ball. He did have some shaky passes. I'm not saying he was he was spraying balls about all for 90 minutes, kind of. But he did do some some nice little bits and bits and pieces. There was one moment later on which I thought you were going to mention. He was uh, kind of in his left centre back position, and um, he didn't really have an obvious pass on, and he just kind of lobbed it over the lobbed it over whoever the the Ukraine forward was at that point over to the kind of either right back or right centre back position. And I, I was really impressed by that. That was just some kind of something a little bit imaginative, and it showed a little bit of confidence that he'd maybe built up over the course of the game. So. So yeah, I was just I was so impressed by him, and I was um, I was really happy for him after the mixed reaction that there had been to his selection. I think the the point you made there about his anticipation was was the thing that stuck out for me is that again, as as we mentioned earlier, is that the two centre backs were brave. They were happy to come and take that ball from the feet of of Dovbik or, or Yarmolenko, whoever it was getting played into into feet, but also stepping up and as we saw, Dovbik was caught offside numerous times four times I think it was in total and a couple that should have been called offside as well but they were more than happy to step up but they were also in sync with each other as well as the fullbacks to be fair there was never a time where they stepped up and got it wrong um, so it was really really brave especially when you've got a player like Dovbik who does just run in behind I would actually liken him to you know a poor man's Haaland big strong quick left if he just runs in behind all the time but you know, could not finish anything last night, thankfully, thankfully for us. Um, but yeah, no, Porteous was, was very good. I think that I don't want to, to echo Michael Stewart, who seemed to mention this every 10 seconds on the Premier Sports coverage, but his concentration has been the thing that has let him down. Playing for Hibs, you know, a lot of games, he strolls completely, you know, looks so comfortable, very good, as you say, good on the ball as well, especially at the Scottish Premiership level. But then he just has that moment of... of where he loses his concentration, plays a slack pass, makes a, a bad foul. Um, you know, I, I think a game like that, for his debut, he must have been thinking in his head, I've got to be on this. It probably has brought the best out of him. So maybe if he did step up a level, if he did move on from Hibs, we would see that improve slightly. But yeah, absolutely no complaints from Porches. I thought he was immense. Yeah, just on that lack of concentration, there was... A tackle in the 91st, 92nd minute last night inside Scotland's own box that it's an incredibly difficult tackle to pull off where Porteous kind of wrapped himself around the Ukraine player and got the ball in, inside his own box. And it, it was an incredible tackle, but it was a really difficult one. So that was good to see that he can, can pull that sort of like last-ditch defending off. And like you said, his concentration was excellent last night. I think the whole back line, and that's not the back line that, I think we'd ever expected to start this game, a crucial Scotland game last night, was incredibly in sync. I mean, I think they were helped by Dovbuk's inability to stay onside, but if Porteous went, Jack Hendry dropped in. If Jack Hendry went, Porteous dropped in, they covered themselves really well. There was times where Hickey 
would was covering um, Mudrick inside. He would he would come in and sweep behind the two central defenders. So the, for a backline that isn't really familiar with each other, they were incredibly incredibly uh, in sync and had great chemistry, which was excellent. Yeah, just touching on Hickey there, I thought he dealt with with Mudrick very well. Um, apart from one very, he, he maybe got down the line and put a, a great ball in for Yarmolenko who blazed over and then one long range shot. I think we did keep Mudrick fairly quiet for the whole game and that's not that's no easy task. I think, as you say, Hickey, his positional sense was was brilliant. The, the amount of times he just closed off you know, a, a channel for Mudrick to run into. He used his body well. He got tight to him early doors because if you do give Mudrick space, then he will punish you. He's got that ability to, to run in behind and also run at you with the ball. So, no, I think, again, Hickey showed exactly exactly how comfortable he is defend, defensively. And I also think that the back four really suited us matching up with Ukraine's front three because I feel like if we had played the back five, if Hickey had been pushed higher up, there would have been space there for Mudrik to exploit in the wide areas and you would have been relying on one of your centre-backs to come wide and kind of defend the wide areas. You know, the same on the other side, Yarmolenko was also an outlet for, for them to use. I feel like Yarmolenko could have drifted in, occupied one of our, our centre-backs and Dovbik you know, would have been slightly more free to, to roam. And then, um, you know, Greg Taylor, if he was playing left wing back, would have been maybe caught in no man's land with not really anyone to kind of to be tight to. So I think the back four, whether that was by choice to match up to Ukraine or whether Steve Clark thought that was just the best thing for, for our own um, style. But either way, I think it worked, worked very well. Yeah, I think one thing that showed how well Hickey dealt with Mudrik is that he could have feasibly been sent off in that game. I mean, there was what he was already on the booking and then you could see he was easily frustrated after losing the ball and he kinda I think it was Porteous he took out as Porteous tried to, to run up the pitch. Obviously advantage was played and it didn't go back, but you could visibly see how frustrated some of the Ukrainian players were with, with how well Scotland defended. I think we should also probably mention Craig Gordon because he had some excellent saves. Uh, there was the noticeable one in the first half where Yarmolenko played quite unreal pass with the outside of his foot through to Dovbik and he really should have scored but Craig Gordon was calm and, and positioned himself well so I think I would shout out him last, for last night's performance as well You've taken the words out of my mouth there Danny because that ball from Yarmolenko was unbelievable I thought it was just like I was I couldn't work out what had happened at first I was like how is that ball being played and I realised he'd done the kind of outs, the kind of outside of the left boot thing that he always does um, bend it round the defence and um, it was just an unbelievable ball but yeah top save from there but also with Yarmolenko that mess was unbelievable like I, I, I was absolutely like I was shocked when he missed that like I thought that was a that was a real let off for us and that could have totally changed the course of the game so I think we need we were a bit lucky there and like Greg said that game could have gone a couple could have gone a few different ways so yeah we need to count, count ourselves lucky on that front so another talking point uh, from across the break would be Billy Gilmore because as we spoke in the last pod we had him down as one of the most important players in the team, but as far as I'm aware, he's played about nine minutes this season since, um, well, he's moved from Chelsea where he wasn't getting a look in under Thomas Tuchel and he's gone to Brighton where the manager that wanted him has uh, has left as we spoke about in the last pod. So he's not really had a look in yet, but with uh, the new manager coming in, we're, we're hoping that, that things will change there. But do we think that that's just that's just why he wasn't featuring at all? Is that he's just not got the match fitness? He's not got the even the fitness to to contribute yet? 
I think that's probably the main part of it. Although I will say Jack Hendry's not played club football for a, a while, bar like a few minutes, but I guess we were a lot shorter at centre-back than we were in central midfield. I also think that Steve Clark might have liked how physical McTominay can be in there um, in that double pivot and and how not headless chicken because his pressing is, is good, but he will run for days, whereas Gilmore likes to get on the ball more. And if you have both Gilmore and McGregor looking to receive the ball rather than one of them sort of being that runner, then it might not have been as effective, but we can't really tell that without seeing it on on the pitch. So yeah, I think maybe there was, was some stylistic things to it, but I think overall it's probably the fact that he's he's not played for Brighton yet this season. Yeah, I think I was slightly surprised not to see Gilmore come in for the, the game last night um, away away against Ukraine, just simply for the fact that, that McTominay dropped out and you know we hadn't really seen um, Ryan Jack or Kenny McLean starting a game for a while alongside McGregor. I do think that probably was that was the right choice, although when we were under the cosh slightly and Ryan Jack came off and I thought Kenny McLean would have been coming off as well, I would have liked to see Gilmore come on. First of all, get some, some minutes in his legs, but also just to get our foot on the ball slightly more. You know, Gilmore's not unbelievable out of possession, but he certainly does a job and he's never let us down in that sense for Scotland. So... I think maybe he's one that if we are looking to kind of take the sting out of games, um, keep the ball more and, you know, give the, the defence an option to, to play to instead of, you know, going long and just um, soaking up attack after attack. I think he's maybe one that, that could to do that role well. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll definitely see him soon, um, probably in the next international break, whenever that may be. Yeah, I, I don't doubt the, the quality and the future that he's going to have for Scotland. It's just a case of you know, getting him, getting him up to fitness and contributing at club level again because uh, I think I think he needs to do that before he before he gets in with the the kind of quality we've got in that midfield. So yeah, we'll move on and we'll talk about the the Euro Euro twenty twenty four qualification draw. So as we know, we are going to be a pot two team. So just to give you a kind of bit of context there, the other pot two teams going into that will be France, Austria, the Czech Republic, England, Wales, Israel, Bosnia, Serbia. Scotland and Finland so that's the kind of quality we're in around there and some of the teams below us in the lower seeds that um, kind of stand out um, would be Ukraine, Sweden and uh, countries like Turkey so we are in a good position here that's just some of the better teams you would think that uh, being a second seed odds on you are going to be a favourite to go through given that two teams will go through from each group is there um, any kind of ideal draw that stands out to either of you? I'll come to you Greg yeah, I think the words ideal draw might have some part to play in just how we, we look at this group once it's been drawn because, yeah, we are pot two, but as you say, there are still some good teams in the pots below us. Also, spinning that the other way, the pot above us, pot one, yeah, it's got some big hitters in it, but it's also got a couple of teams that you know, you'd fancy us to go and give a game, if not be on the front foot. You know, For instance, in pot one, you've got Hungary, you've got Switzerland and Poland. Now, Hungary have obviously come on a lot. They they have more than held their own in in the A League last uh, last time round. But you know, international football, you think sometimes it's the smaller nations aren't able to sustain that success for as long. So you know, you'd maybe fancy us against a uh, Hungary, also Poland in that A group. We've played Poland recently in a friendly, and 
I would say dominated them for large parts of the game. They obviously got a last-minute penalty, which uh, I don't think would have been given if VAR was in operation that night. But, you know, we, ha- we have a, a great chance of getting a, a group where we could possibly be, be going for top spot, never mind second. I think looking down the... Looking down the way, as you mentioned, the ones we want to avoid, probably want to avoid Ukraine again if possible. Sweden, Turkey in, in pot four, all the way down in pot four. Now, Turkey have, have obviously struggled recently, but you know, surely their fortunes will start to turn at some point. And for me, in pot five, you'd want to be you know avoiding Slovakia as well. You'd still fancy us against them, but that's they're definitely the, the standout from pot five. Yeah, I think what's nice is that even if we say draw a group of death if you will there's the fact that we're in the playoffs as well so it kind of gives us those two routes to qualify for Euro 2024 I mean from pot one I think I would prefer Poland over anyone else just because we have played them recently and we and we did dominate and if you can sort of contain Lewandowski which is obviously not the easiest thing to do but then I think we can match up quite well to them I think also some dangerous teams in from pot three, you've got Norway, who obviously have Haaland and, and Odegaard and some really talented players. So I don't, it, it puts us in, in the, the most optimal situation for qualifying, which is the most we can ask for. If we do draw a, a, a really difficult group, then so be it. But we've put ourselves in the best position to qualify for this tournament, which is all you can ask for. Well, let's take a wee look at it from like off the pitch point of view. Are any of those that stand out to you as a... Uh away days that you'd quite fancy because I, I know that like with the way things have been going a lot of my friends have been talking about possibly trying to get away somewhere and I, I mean when I look at that Poland stands out it's quite a good one I know we've just had a, a game away in Poland there but obviously it's not quite the same when it's against it's not against Poland but that would be a good one uh, maybe Hungary would sound quite good as well a- any jumping out at you? Malta seems like it would be a nice sweet away day holiday could spend a bit of time in Malta so I'll, I'll pick that Don't one go to the beach <laughs> exactly yeah I wouldn't mind a wee, a wee easy to get to one either maybe a Northern Ireland or something a team you'd fancy is to go and beat um, some familiar players but also you know you can imagine the numbers that we'd would take to to Belfast so yeah maybe not the most exotic but uh, yeah I'll go for Northern Ireland Right, so to finish off the pod, um, we'll do a listener question. We didn't really get as many because it was a bit short notice, but um, Scott Johnson has asked us, uh, given the performances this international break, would you play with a back four or a back five going forward, assuming everyone's fit? So, I mean, I guess this kind of is talking about the, the tierney Robertson debate, which we did touch on a little bit. Um, but I guess, what what do you, what do you think? Would, would Steve Clark automatically be going into the next break with a back four, regardless of fitness? I don't think automatically is the the word to go for there. I think he may consider it more than he has previously. Had Tierney and Robertson both been fit for this international break, I don't think he would have changed it. I mean, it's hard to kind of predict a situation that you don't know anything about, but I don't think it'll be an automatic change, despite how well we have done with the back four. I think that Robertson is not just our probably most high-profile player, but is also the captain and if you were to leave him out, then, you know, I think it would be extremely, extremely harsh and also probably not a wise decision. As well as Tierney, you know, he, the, no matter where he's played for us, whether it be left back in the back four, whether it be the the left side of that back three, he's always been brilliant. And Tierney and Robertson do have a great dynamic down that left-hand side. 
I think the thing that if we do go to the back five again, the thing that we have to get away from is being so reliant on the left-hand side. I think now that we do have Patterson and uh, Hickey available there is a bonus, obviously, because you know they, they are a better quality than we've had on, on the right-hand side. But I think it's just a kind of a set-up um, thing. We might see, you know... We might see more of a um an idea to to go to the back four, and it might be more situational as we've said before. But I don't think that you know that'll just be a, a given from now on. Yeah, that's what I was going to touch upon. I think that it won't be a will always be a back four. We'll always be a back five. I think that we will change it, and and we ha- now have that flexibility and unpredictability to go into games. I mean, if you're playing in a bigger game, you probably want Tierney and Robertson on that left-hand side on the pitch because their dynamic is so effective and they're two top-end players. I also think that there's a, maybe some recency bias in that we've played really well with this back four, but we've played some excellent football with the back five too. So to completely drop it, I don't think is something that will happen, especially with with two of our best players both not really being able to fit in a back four. I mean, I can't see Tierney ever being used as the left centre back in a in a back four, and I can't see Robertson being pushed up into sort of that left midfield space for in a in the in the back four because he's not really technically good enough to play in that role. I do agree with Greg that we do need to get away from that sort of left hand sided reliance, but I th- think with the players coming through on that right hand side, that is something we'd probably naturally see anyway with a back five. Um, so I think I, I'm just going to sit on the fence. I think it's that we'll see a bit of both, and and I think that's the option that we should go with anyway. It's interesting um, because I was listening to the Hamden Roar podcast, which I would recommend um, if you don't listen to it. It's, it's uh, kind of more regular coverage I'd say than we were able to provide it was kind of a, a few podcasts over the course of the break but um, they were saying that they kind of their take on it was more that now we've seen this back four that, that that'll be the back five kind of cast into the fire almost but yeah I think I'm more on the side that you were talking about there where I think it's just going to be situational because there will just be there will be times where there's a lot of value in having two such high quality players there but I guess that throws up the, the thing that we spoke about in the last podcast about who plus after Tierney on the left, who are your your other two? And I guess we can maybe reevaluate that question now after after these two games that have gone gone so well. Obviously not in the back three, but like at, or after the performances we've seen in the in the back four, who who are you having alongside alongside Tierney if we do happen to go back to the back five? Yeah, for me, Jack Hendry is a stick on now. I guess though there there is a the, the problem that, that Danny mentioned earlier is that he hasn't played a lot of football in Syria since he's moved to Cremonese. But um, for his performances alone for Scotland, you'd think that Jack Hendry would be a stick on, and for that central defensive role, you know that tends to be the one who's more aggressive, kind of the the meat and potatoes centre back as folk have, have labelled it before. And for me, I don't think you can really look past Scott McKenna in that role at the minute, but. You know, Grant Hanley's also done well for us. However, McKenna's now playing at a higher level than Hanley. Um, but yeah, we do have, we do have options. I think McTominay is still an option at, at right centre back. But for me, Hendry would be would be ahead of him, especially with how well McTominay played um, in the middle. And just to touch on the the, the back five debate again, is that you got to remember that we are now in the A League, so we will be playing some higher quality opponents. Um, you know, you could have Spain, Portugal, Germany, etc. So, in those kind of games, 
maybe we would opt for a back five, especially the fact that you want Tierney and Robertson both playing in positions that they are familiar with and that we know they can perform with. You want your best players on the pitch, especially in games like that. So I don't think the back five is, is anywhere near um, cast into the fire, as you said. Yeah, I think with McTominay, we could see him drop back into that right centre-back role and Hendry shifted into the middle just if we want to see Gilmore and McGregor again in that in that two and, and fit all three of them into the same team. Um, on the whole Robertson and Tierney thing as well, I mean, we can't always rely on Tierney to be fit because he does get injured a lot. I mean, I know he regularly turns out for Scotland, but you've put his body through a lot already in his career. And then with Robertson also, I mean, he's 28, but he has played nearly every single football game going for four or five years at the very top level. Like he, as a Liverpool fan, like he's looked tired for for a while. And obviously we've got a, a backup left back in Simicast that can come in for him. So asking him to play every single game is probably not the best idea anyway. So it just gives you that sort of rotation and flexibility where you can rest guys if you need to. And then even going down further, you've got Greg Taylor, who has played really well this international break and is playing Champions League football with Celtic and keeping their new signing um, Bernabe out of the team. And then you've got Josh Doig, who's who's with Verona, which is a mid-table club in Serie A. So I think what we've wanted for a long time is depth in that squad, and now we've got it. So... It's only a good thing and there's a lot of different options that, that Clark can use to sort of get around managing personalities, managing game time and making it effective on the pitch. Yeah, just before I put this one to bed, I think it's also important to mention that for that left centre-back role in the back three um, or in the back five, you don't really have anyone else who with the same qualities as Tierney to play in that role. For me, when we have played a back five and there's been somebody else that's not Tierney, um, in that role, for instance, the first game of the Euros against Czech Republic, we've just not looked anywhere near as as good as as able to progress the ball forward. We've you know relied on Robertson solely on on the left hand side and going forward, and that's just not something that you know is fair to rely on Robertson for. So, I think as well as Danny mentioned, Tierney does have a a poor injury record and you can't always rely on him to be uh, to be fit so I think if it if it is Tierney unavailable I think it has to be a back four for me Right well I think that's everything covered then so um, that'll be the podcast so thanks for listening guys and if you don't follow any of us on social media where can we find you Danny? Uh, so you can find me at <laughs> sorry uh, at Kelcio underscore Danny uh, on Twitter and hopefully I'll be putting out more regular content so yeah that's where you find me. What about you, Greg? You can find me uh, at Greg the Well Fan on Twitter, and yeah, I don't really post that much anymore. But you can see what I do. Yeah, and you'll be able to get me at RT Jenky. That's Jenky with a Y. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know?